Welcome back to Half the Battle. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Shaq, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC 239, John Jones versus Tiago Santos, and Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Vegas. International Fight Week, the greatest of all time, John Jones is defending his belt against a hungry challenger, and the greatest of all time, Amanda Nunes, is taking on a former champion. Yeah, it's going to be a really good card. You know, those aren't the only two fights. you got a lot of former former world champions on the card, uh, legends on the card, you know, Diego Sanchez, Gilbert Melendez, Luke Rockhold. So it's going to be a, a good card from top to bottom. Absolutely, man. I mean, you just said it right there. Diego Sanchez, Gilbert Melendez, we both remember the epic war they had back in Houston, Texas, the night that Cain Velasquez fought JDS the third time. Now they're both on this card against somewhat up-and-comers. I mean, Kiesa, he won the Ultimate Fighter Tough 15, but at this point, he's on a Legends-killing tour. Just beat Condit, trying to take out Diego Sanchez, and Gilbert Melendez taking on the young up-and-comer Arnold Allen. Going to be a hell of a night. Yeah, it's uh, gonna see. We're gonna see if these uh, two guys kind of weathered vets. Let's see how they uh, go against these top prospects. I'm very excited to see what happens, and let's get right down to business, man. Because first up in the women's bantamweight division, we got Pani Kianzad. She's 11 and four, and Julia Avila is six and one. Currently, they got Julia Avila minus 220. The comeback on Pani Kianzad is plus 180. Well, Shaq, Julia Avila impressed a lot of people on her regional scene footage, and now she's making that UFC debut. She's taking on the tough runner-up in Pani Kianzad. Kianzad's taking this fight on short notice. Who do you think gets it done? Yeah, you know, Avila seems like a very aggressive puncher, and Kianzad seems like somewhat of a, a female journeywoman, in a sense. She had a very good stretch, but then she uh, lost like three, three or four but she, you know, picked herself back up, uh, won a few fights on tough, and, you know, she got the call back to the UFC. So congratulations to her. She's taking this fight on short notice. You know, these are one of the short notice spots where I'm, uh, I'm not that particularly uh, that keen on fading one side or the, the the person coming in on short notice just because I feel like Julia Avila I don't want to say she has a misconception of what the, of the fight game is, but she's just been in a lot of fights where the girls just aren't you know, there to fight. You know, she's been uh, walking forward, just letting off all these punches go without the other opponent uh, fighting back too much. So this is going to be her first real test. You know, I think that she's probably going to be in better shape here, but I think the fight's going to play out very close. One of those, I think, uh, even though the line's fairly wide, I feel like this fight's going to be coming down to the wire towards the end. I will pick Julia Village just because she's probably in the better shape. She had the full camp. But uh, I wouldn't count Penny Cans that out. You know, Julia Villa, she's still got a, a, a lot to learn. She's a good puncher. But she, she she definitely hasn't seen the high levels of the sport in comparison to Kianzad, who's been in there with the chase on. Uh, she beat Rose Clark. Um, you know, she's been in there with some other UFC fighters. So um, I, I'm going to take Avila, but I'm going to say by close decision. Well, you know, they both do have some experience because my girl Avila did beat Marion Renault in her in her MMA debut, but Renault was also 1-0 at the time. But it goes to show that Avila has been fighting for a while, and they signed her for a reason, man, because if you watch that regional footage, she goes out there and tries to take her opponents out. She goes out there with a certain aggression that not a lot of the women in that weight class are known for, and it actually kind of reminds me of, like, Jessica Andrade a couple years back, back when she was at Bantamweight, just the way she charges forward with, with big hooks doesn't matter if you hit her with your return shot. She's going to keep eating it and go forward. And I really like that about Julia Avila. I think her aggressiveness, her aggression is going to take her a long way. Maybe not in this division, but in this sport, because she can eventually drop a weight class. And with Panny Kianzad, you know, she's decently well-rounded everywhere, but it seems like she doesn't really like being pressured. And that's what Julia Avila brings to the game. So 
As long as Avila doesn't get on top of her and get caught with an armbar, because Kianzad does have a very opportunistic armbar off her back, uh, I, I think Julia Avila's pressure is going to be too much. I think she overwhelms Panny Kianzad to an either lopsided decision, possibly even a TKO, man. I, I think you guys need to look out for Julia Avila. She brings something pretty awesome to the table for that, for that weight class. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Ismael, the Austrian wonder boy, Nardiev. He's 18-2, and two, and Chance Rencounter is 13-3. and three. Currently, they got Ismail, the Austrian wonder boy, Nardiev, minus 525. The comeback on Chance Rencounter is plus 415. Well, Shaq, you got the very tough Chance Rencounter making his third UFC appearance, but now he's taking on a very highly touted prospect. Some people are even calling this guy a phenom in Ismail Nardiev. How do you see them matching up? Ismail uh, Nardiev, the Austrian wonder boy, man. This guy gets a lot of rave reviews from a lot of top UFC fighters. You know, I asked Dustin Poirier about this guy, and he said, uh, yeah, this this guy's the real deal. So, you know, Nardiev, uh, he's My boy Dustin's like, you didn't know about the Austrian <laughs> wonder boy? <laughs> you know, it's, it's Ismail, bro. He's a phenom. But, uh, yeah, Ren Counter, uh, very tough guy, one of those Native Americans. He fights with a lot of spirit. He's got a very good single leg. I think he's a Juco wrestler. Um, you know, Ren Counter's a very tough guy. His uh, fight with Kyle Stewart, you know, Stewart took that fight on short notice, and Ren Counter ran right over him and really quickly. And his fight against Bilal, man, he showed a lot of heart because, you know, Bilal taught him that, uh, gave him a very rude welcome to the UFC, just gave him that MMA clinic. And uh, he hung in there for three rounds when, you know, um, you know, a lot of guys could have could have packed it in. But, you know, I just think Nardiev's better in every aspect. I think he's a guy you got to keep an eye out for. You know, this is a spot where, you know, there's not a lot of pressure on him. But, you know, he's expected to come out here and run over, run counter. And, you know, it might necessarily be that. But I could see a 30-26 on, on you know, uh, a couple 10-8 rounds in there. You know, run counter's a guy where in his local scene fights, you know, he kind of struggles with some of these, uh, what I like to call these, these workman fighters, these... Uh, these old vets, and he would kind of struggle with them. But I'll tell you what, Ren Counter's cleaned up a lot of things since he since he moved out to Cali. He's been training with Phil Davis and them at Alliance, so he's cleaned up a lot of things. I think that uh, he'll win fights, you know, after this. But unfortunately, I just think Nardiev's just too dynamic with the kicks, the wrestling, the jujitsu. I, I think that he's gonna style on Chance Ren Counter here for for a, a lopsided decision. Look, I like both these guys a lot. Ren Counter proved a lot to me just in terms of his toughness. He's definitely a durable guy. Never been finished in his 16 fight MMA career. Obviously got the vet lesson against Bilal Muhammad, but since then he rebounded against uh, Kyle Stewart, who was supposed to headline uh, LFA against Jared Gooden. And man, Chance Rencounter finished him in the first round. And Ismail Nardiev obviously had a lot of hype on the regional scene, but he makes that UFC debut on short notice against Michelle tractor Prezerish. And one doesn't simply make their UFC debut on short notice against Michelle tractor Prezerish. And not only did he make that debut on short notice, he went out there and arguably 30-26 the guy. And this is a kid where... He is very flashy on the feet. Obviously, he can be technical, no doubt about it. His hands are up high, great footwork. But when it's time to spin, this guy throws some of the fastest spins you've ever seen. And I'm not just talking about elbows or back fists. I'm talking about kicks, too. He can knock people out cold, but he can also grapple, too. In that Prezeris fight, Prezeris took him down past his side control, and Ismail Nardiev was actually reversing him. Now, I'm not saying that every single guy that gets on top of Nardiev, that Nardiev's just automatically going to you know, scramble up or reverse them or this or that. We do have to kind of point out that Michelle tractor Brazil was very badly rocked you know 10 seconds prior to getting reversed on the mat but still the fact that he did reverse a guy like tractor Prezeris, who is that experienced of a black belt that says a lot in my mind and i really think that now they're grooming this guy they see they have a, a serious talent on their hands 
they're feeding him the right opponents. And I think he comes out here, and I'm not sure if he finishes him because Brent Counter is a very durable guy, but I definitely think that he goes out there and outclasses him and is just the faster, more dynamic fighter in there. So I'm going Ismail Nardiev here. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Jack the Hammer Marshman. He's 23-8, and eight, and Edmund Golden Boy Shabazian is 9-0. Currently, they got Edmund Shabazian minus 650. The comeback on Jack Marshman is plus 475. Well, Shaq, a lot of people are saying that this line is kind of wide. And my question for you is, do you agree or do you think that Edmund's going to come out here and have a minus 650 type performance on, on the veteran? Well, Edmund generally wins a knockout but in less than a minute. You know, uh, he runs through most of his opponents except Darren Stewart. You know, Darren Stewart has a lot of power and, you know, he wanted to fight safe. But the fact that a 21-year-old kid had the mental capacity to execute that game plan, you know, shows me a lot. And before his fight with Charles Bird, I was like, man, this kid... For 21 years old, is very advanced, you know, uh, he's very well coached, and you know, I see a lot of people shitting on his head coach, Edmund Taradian, but guys, you gotta understand, you can't count the whole Ronda Rousey thing against Edmund, look, when, when you're getting money like that, he's gotta change who he is, he's gotta sell people that this that this chick can actually box, in which she can't, but you know, that's how that's how they sell pay-per-views, that's how Do they Do you want him to get off the payroll or <laughs> something? Want to, you want him to admit that she can't box and that she's shit? Like, <laughs> like It'll cost him a million bucks exactly, doing that. Exactly, he's getting a purse out of that. Uh, he's going to percentage of that purse, man. He's going to tell you whatever uh, they want to hear. So I wouldn't count. Uh, this guy's a very well-trained fighter. You know, he was bought up the right way. I think Edmund's done a great job with him. I think he, you know, if he, Jack Marshman's the type of guy where at this stage in his career, I feel like he's so weathered and done that he's just going to try to run away from Edmund with his back on the fence, kind of similar how he did against Phillips. And Phillips honestly won that fight, in my opinion. Of course, he didn't go out there and knock him out like you expected uh, or wanted him to do. Uh, he was the underdog against Marshman, but, you know, I feel like Marshman's just a guy that he's only got his pun a puncher's chance, and, you know, his puncher's chance really isn't that good. He's also very chinny, and Edmund, man, this guy throws with devastating, devastating intentions for a very, you know, tall, skinny guy. And uh, he was very well trained, man. He, you know, I, I actually believe Edmund about this guy. So I think he's going to come out here and, and give Jack Marshman a tour of the octagon, whether it be in the wrestling, the striking. And I feel like eventually Jack Marshman will have uh, had enough and fall victim to another prospect. So I got Edmund Shabazian by finish at some point. Man, this kid Edmund Shabazian, only 21 years old. I can't wait to see what his his finished product is going to be like because, man, he's so talented. Obviously, when he came into the UFC, a lot of people talked about his boxing, and I know that a lot of his fights only lasted 30 seconds, so I wasn't really quite sure what the deal was, but goes in there on Contender Series, knocks the guy out right away, and he has that fight against Darren Stewart, and, man, Darren Stewart is a very tough out, as you know, my man, and Darren Stewart hits like an absolute truck, and there was a moment in that third round where Shabazian could have been like, you know, I had a great first two rounds, but now this guy's teeing off on me. I don't have much left in the tank. Uh, let's go home and come back and, you know, be better another day because he's only 21 years old. I wouldn't have held it against him, but that's not what he did, man. He still gets the takedown in that third round after he's completely rocked. So I'm not saying that's a sign of a future world champion, but I'm saying that's a sign of a very, very bright prospect and a real fighter, not just an athletic specimen. This guy is very, very tough. And with Jack Marshman, a vet of the game, always been a fan, always comes to fight. But lately, I say always comes to fight. That fight against uh, Phillips, he was running away. But then again, you know, Phillips does hit like a truck, so it was kind of smart on Marshman's part, even though I did personally score it for Phillips. But with this fight, 
I just think that Edmund Shabazian is going to dominate him, whether it's mixing in the takedowns, whether it's keeping him at bay on the feet. Bottom line, I see Edmund Shabazian going out there and making a statement against the toughest, arguably the toughest fight of his career, even though in my opinion, Darren Stewart was a tougher fight. Jack Marshman might be a bigger name. So I'm going Edmund Shabazian here via domination. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Alejandro Turbo Perez. He's 21-7, and seven, and Yadong Song is 14-4. and four. Currently, they got Yadong Song minus 225. The comeback on Alejandro Turbo Perez is plus 185. Well, my question here, Shaq, is can Alejandro Perez weasel Yadong Song? Alejandro Perez was on quite the streak before his last fight against Cody Stamen, and it was really a case of the first two rounds he got, he got outboxed, and he got outboxed quite handedly you know uh his prior fights before that he would have these little stretches where he'd get out box a la against andre sukumtach you know getting dropped three times uh the albert morales fight um you know the fight against eddie wineland was very close you know he got dropped in that fight as well um the he fought a, had a very good performance against Yuri Alcantara and Matthew Lopez. Cody Stamen fight was just, his run came to an end because he fought a guy that was just a little more fundamental than him, a, a little guy that's just, a, a guy that's just better at the at the execution part of the game a little bit. And, you know, he fought a great fight, man. It was just uh, the tactical errors, you know, his uh, his weaseling, he got weaseled, you know, that's pretty much what happened. So and now you got, uh, he's fighting Song Yadong, who definitely has not seen anything like an Alejandro Perez Chris quite yet in his UFC career I mean it's three UFC opponents you know the first two I mean I don't need to really say much about that I mean he fought Condor I mean that guy's a fucking joke and whenever he comes back <laughs> he's getting 10 unit faded certain age you know certain age finished John Lineker Lineker's out the UFC <laughs> <laughs> but you know certain age uh, that guy you know he retired the very fight after but I mean if you look at his progression down I mean he was getting he was a part of the first 10-7 round in the yeah. UFC he was done and then now you got Vince Morales, who took the fight in on a week short notice. So you could say Song Yadong has had a very favorable UFC career and opponent. So this is a big step up just in terms of the tactical side of the game. Because Alejandro Perez, though he definitely has some holes in his boxing, the guy comes to fight. He's got a lot of spirit. He's got very good cardio. And he stays focused for the most part. Because to win those fights, you know, those guys, a lot of those guys had better striking than him. You know what I'm saying? But guess what? He would beat him in the striking. You know, he'd, he'd maneuver. He'd use his footwork. He'd, you know, attack at the right time. So it's going to be a test mentally for Song Yadong. First of all, Song Yadong, the guy's age is a big fucking myth. I mean, the guy's like 27. You mean right? he's not 18? <laughs> he's, not, he's not 18 at all. I mean, if you go back and watch his, his local scene fights, his age is all over the place. One minute he's 19, one minute he's 22, then the next minute he's 26. He's 26. So this, this guy, Song Yadong's a little bit of a mystery, but when you look at him skill-wise, he's very big. He's definitely a lot bigger than Alejandro. I would definitely say he's a better puncher than Alejandro but I would just say he hasn't really solved the big puzzle at this stage yet you know so I agree with the line when I say agree with the line I, I see the the projection for Song Yadong he definitely projects higher than Alejandro Perez at this stage in their careers you know Alejandro has to win fights on maneuvering out maneuvering people out thinking people as where Song Yadong he's got a lot of force to his punch and he's very big he's a former featherweight he's also very experienced so I would say Song Yadong has all the makings to come out here and handle business he does have 20-something fights. He does train at uh, Team Alpha Male. This guy is coming in very prepared. We just need to see it. So this is going to be his first big test. I think he's going to. I think he's going to do. It. I think he's going to capitalize in the in the boxing. You know, Alejandro Perez makes a bad, makes has some very bad habits lifting his chin up. Uh, 
you know, when he's pulling back out of these exchanges. And Cody Stamen was able to capitalize. I think the the next best puncher he's, he's fighting is Song Yedong. And I think that Song Yedong will probably capitalize as well. But one thing I'll say about Song is that, that I don't want to say that worries me, is I do have a speculation that he can be knocked out stiff. You know, he has been knocked out stiff in the past. He has been KO'd before. But if you watch that Vince Morales fight, he was handling Vince, you know, for two rounds. Vince is a very tough kid. But in that third round, about the last 30 seconds, Vince hit him, Vince hit him with a left hook and Song was making faces, spitting his mouthpiece out, and we'll see what happens if he gets tested a little earlier on here, but I gotta go with Song. I just think he's too big, too physical, will move forward. Alejandro likes to back up a lot, makes a lot of mistakes in his boxing, but I'm, I'm, I'm not counting Alejandro out. I wouldn't be shocked if he'd done this, but, you know, I, I don't think he's as live as some people think. Look, Alejandro's a very tough guy. I respect him a lot. Obviously, his weaseling tactics are unbelievable, man, and we gave him so much credit because it's amazing to watch a guy get knocked down three times in the first round and then come back and, and win the decision. You know, that's the kind of stuff that Alejandro used to be known for. And not just that fight against Sukumtel. What about the Wyland fight where he got dropped in that one? And not only did he win that decision, Shaq, he won the round in which he got dropped. You know what I'm saying? So much respect to, to the Mexican weasel Alejandro Perez, man. I love that guy. But the thing here is that it's going to be kind of tough to weasel a guy like Yudong Song because... Yudong Song doesn't really uh, have, you know, the lowest fight IQ in the history of the sport like Andre Sukumtut. Yudong Song isn't, you know, one or two fights away from retirement like Eddie Wineland. I just think that Yudong Song kind of operates on a different frequency than Alejandro. He's a lot faster, a lot more crisp, and just has more output. With Alejandro, he just brings some intangibles to the table. You know, Cody Stamen said, you know, Cody Stamen's had about what, you know, 18, 19, 20 pro fights. Cody Stamen said that Alejandro Perez is the strongest guy he's ever fought. He also said that he, he, uh, greases. <laughs> he said he could smell it. <laughs> he's a weasel, bro. <laughs> Cody Stamen said he's the strongest guy he's ever fought. Also said he was a big greased up. Hey, <laughs> hey, those weasel tactics, you know what I'm saying? But look, bottom line, I, I just think that Yudong Song is gonna, he's gonna be operating at a different frequency than Alejandro, but much respect to my boy Turbo. I got Yudong Song here. Maybe knockout because Alejandro does get dropped a lot and Yudong does have a very good finishing instinct. But at the same time, it is kind of hard to put a, a guy away like Alejandro Perez unless your name is Patrick Williams. No, but uh, I'm going to go Yudong song here. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Claudia Claudinia Gadelia. She's 16-4 and four, and Randa Marcos is 9-6. and six. Currently, they got Claudia Gadelia minus 235. The comeback on Randa Marcos is plus 195. Well... Shaq, it's an interesting spot because for a long time, a lot of people called Claudia Claudinia Gadelia the the perennial number one contender. But as you know, man, now she's taking L's to, to people like Nina Anzaroff and hasn't been looking the same. So do you think she has enough to defend her spot here against Randa Marcos? This is an intriguing fight because, you know, Claudia Gadelia is definitely deteriorating. Since she fought Joanna the second time, I mean, what has she really done? Courtney Casey, Carla, and Carolina, you know, three and two, I think. Uh, she lost to Androff and Andrade. So she's been three and two since she fought for the title. Um, and you know, the fact that she lost to, no offense to Androff, but the fact that she lost to one of the, the girls that used to be, you know, outside the top 15 and was on the bottom, bottom half of the top 15 when they fought, just let you know of what's, uh, you know, coming down the line. This is a girl, Claudia, where she's looking for a lot of answers. I mean, first she was at no, no Vunyao, then she, uh, Went out to Albuquerque and trained at some gym there. Even went to Jackson Wink a little bit. Then she left there and went to Performance Institute and Extreme Couture. And then she left there, and now she's uh, with Mark Henry and them. So we'll see what Mark Henry and Ricardo can add to her game. My speculation is they're going to try to 
switch switch things up a little bit and really make her focus on the jujitsu side of her game. Really, you know, put an emphasis. I feel like uh, this is just a guess. You know, I feel like they're gonna try to kind of treat her like how. Uh, you know, Master Hoffa and them did with Darius, you know. Look, you don't have the chin to, to withstand these 15-minute wars anymore. You need to go to your bread and butter, your jiu-jitsu, you know what I'm saying? That's what's going to win you most of these fights. So I feel like that's the adjustment they're probably going to try to make coming into this Marcos fight. And Marcos is a girl where a couple, a, a few months, a year ago, you know, she was on the on the chopping block almost, you know. She didn't take that Marina Rodriguez fight. She, uh, she would have got cut, you know. She took that fight, you know, went to a, a draw with her. And the thing with Marcos is, you know, when I, when I uh, look to when I'm talking about fate, when I think about possibly fading Claudia Gadelia, you know, you know, Fraudinia, you know, you you want a girl that really turns up in the late rounds because you know what happens. Like I told you last week, I pretty much tell you every week, if you push them Brazilians in the late rounds. I mean, they, look at Junior Albini. He was, Jose yeah. <laughs> you push them in the late rounds and they and they fold. Uh, look at Juicy A last week. You push them in the late rounds and they fold. So, you know, you, you kind of want somebody that's got a, a little bit of a history of turning up. Not saying that it's not possible because, you know, if she's just completely gassed, anyone can do it. The thing with Marcos is... I would kind of classify her. I would say her and Gadelia kind of got a lot of similarities, man, because Marcos is a wrestler. You know, her comfort zone is on top. And, you know, she's going to have to switch her style up completely in this fight because, in my opinion, the takedowns aren't going to be there in this fight. You know, she's going to have to really become an elusive striker in this fight and try to land a lot of volume in them, in them second and third rounds or possibly cap capitalize on Gadelia's deteriorating chin. I mean, this girl got dropped by Carla Esparza. And, you know... <laughs> Um, so, you know, like I said, yeah, that chin is, thing. that chin is deteriorating, man. She, she's getting wobbled and, you know, she could be at that state where, you know, anyone coming in here is gonna, is gonna make her quit and make her look for ways out. My biggest concern with Marcos is, you know, I would also kind of classify Marcos as someone that gasses out in the late rounds because, you know, when you watch these fights against Alexa Grasso, you know, Alexa actually won the first round in that fight, but, you know, Marcos came back in the second, but you could just see that Marcos is just getting tired. Not only that fight, but what about the Marina Rodriguez fight? You know, she comes out there with a the strong first round, and then she's barely holding on. I mean, Marina's teeing off on her to a point where she's trying to grab the clinch, and she's she's looking real sloppy and bad, and, you know, the Angela Hill fight ended up in a round, and you know that's a very solid win definitely a performance we haven't seen so that that could be a sign in the right direction she's been seeing a sports psychologist so you know she could be you know making gains she could be start she might start doing things that we have never seen her done before and we're seeing Gadelia start to do things uh, that you know losing the people that she hasn't you know that you wouldn't think she if you would have told me she would have lost the Androv two years ago I would have been like if you would have told me Claudia Gadelia would get dropped by Carla Esparza I'd be like dude shut up yeah you know what I'm saying so it's, it's a very intriguing fight, and, 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 you know, like I was getting back to how I said, I feel like they're going to make an adjustment with, you know, make Gadelia go back to her takedowns, is, you know, Marcos has been taken down a lot, man. You know, she got taken down by Juliana Lima. She got taken down by Alexa Grasso. She got taken down by... Carla Esparza, she, she gets taken down a lot. And a lot of it's off, you know, when she's initiating the clinch and then she'll get reversed because, you know, she's a little tired, man. She, she uh, like I said, I feel like her and Gadelia kind of got a lot, a, a lot of similarities in terms of the gassing out in the late rounds. So, you know, I'm actually going with Gadelia here. I think that she's going to get the takedowns. I think that I've seen Randa get taken down and swept too many times by lesser fighters, lesser jujitsu fighters than Claudia Gadelia. And I think that as long as Gadelia avoids too much damage, end up exchanging like i said that chin is a liability at this stage that's a 100 percent fact so if you want to take that shot on 
plus 195, I mean, I don't blame you. I think you got a lot of value, but I just personally think that, I think that Rand is just going to fall just short. I think she's going to get taken down. I mean, for example, look at the Carla fight. When Carla did drop her, literally 30 seconds later, Gedalia's in Mount pounding her, you know what I'm saying? So, Gedalia still has that. I, I can't compare this fight to a, a Grasso-Carolina situation because because Carolina doesn't have a dominant skill. Carolina just uh, she's, she's a scrapper. Tough. Yeah, she's just a scrapper. She doesn't have a dominant skill that's proven to win fights. As where Gedalia, she knows that if she can get on top and win two of these rounds, she most likely win. So uh, I think that she's probably going to come out here, probably pull a, try to pull a stunt at some point, but I think she's going to get a lot of takedowns. I think that she's going to you know, physically outweigh Marcos. And the Andrew fight, you know, I will actually say, I'll go ahead and say that. I feel like Androff has kind of separated herself from from the Marcoses and the and the you know Gedalias. and the the Gedalias and the and the uh, the Carolinas and shit. Because you know when I when you look at Androff's skill set, I know a lot of people are shitting on Claudia for that loss, but you gotta understand Androff's got a very good you know solid taekwondo point style a disciplined point style where she can you know throw those teeps to the body throw those calf kicks keep moving and stay disciplined i mean uh amanda nunes and them got her right man and you saw the third round against tatiana suarez man she she had tatiana flailing all over the she place. cost tatiana her title <laughs> shot she, she took away tatiana's title shot so i feel like andros a little bit above these other girls fighting, um, you know, those, like, the names, like, the, the pack with Marcos and all them, but I wouldn't be shocked if Marcos got it, you know, she she seems like she's really confident these days, but uh, I gotta go with today. I think she's too stronger, I think she hits a little bit harder, I think she's gonna capitalize in the jiu-jitsu, and I think she's gonna scrape out a win here. Yeah, this was one I was very intrigued in, because when I saw, when I saw that plus 240 line on Randa Marcos, I was like, oh shit, you know, Claudia's definitely on a decline, she arguably lost her last three fights in a row, and, Basically, Claudia's always had a suspect gas tank. It's not because she's not out here running her miles again. It's just because she goes so damn hard uh, in, in those first two rounds that she, she's got nothing left it's in like, that third. Yeah, she's just a mostly Brazilian. But, I mean, she goes hard, <laughs> bro. Like, fucking all those takedowns. And on the feet, man, I mean, look, she's just a better fighter than Randa Marcos across the board, in my opinion. As far as technique, it's not even close. Like, if they put on the gi together... Claudia Gadelia is going to go out there and tap her out. If they put on the boxing gloves together, Claudia Gadelia is going to go out there and uh, outbox Random Marcos. If they put the shin guards on, Claudia is going to outkick her. But the bottom line here is now they're fighting in MMA, and it's about can Randa survive and then thrive in the later rounds. Because historically speaking, it's Randa that comes out hard in that first round as well, and then she kind of looks lost in that second and third round. So now it's going to be kind of interesting because the extent to which uh, Claudia historically gasses, it's uh, I mean, it's something that's been documented for a very long time, man. And then she gets significant strike records on her face like you saw in the second Joanna fight. In the Jessica Andrade fight, that was a very uncomfortable beating to watch. It was very brutal. In that third round, you just see the faces Claudia's making, the pool of blood. I'm just like, oh my god. And so, of course, her next fight, she goes out there and gets dropped by harmless Carla Esparza. You know, she, her chin is completely gone. But I got to give her a lot of credit for not just her toughness, but her technique, man. The fact that she got dropped against Carla Esparza, and then a couple seconds later, she's attacking a mounted guillotine. She ends the round on top. I was like, okay, like you know, she's still got those skills, man. So I'm just so curious what's going to happen in this third round. You know, if uh, Claudia comes out here, dominates that first round, and then starts winning, you know, the first half of the second round, then Randa starts to take over a little bit. Y'all better go to that live betting window and maybe put a little bet on Randa before the third round if, if it seems to be trending in that direction. But ultimately, 
I just think that Claudio Gadelio is better than Randa Marcos, but will I put it past Randa to come out here and rise to the occasion, get this upset? You know, Randa could be on the way up. Claudio could be on the way out. Anything's possible. You never know in this sport. But at the end of the day, I really do think that Claudio's going to get it done. I'm going to say split decision because she probably does pull a stunt in that third round. And I'm not going to put too much stock in Randa finishing Angela Hill in the first round because you know what? Carlos Barza also finished Angela Hill in the first round. Rose Namajunas also finished Angela Hill in the first round. So to me, finishing Angela Hill in the first round isn't a sign of, oh shit, like she's this new woman. It's just, oh, you were the third person to do that. Congrats. Try doing I that. I mean, look, when, you're, when you got Angela Hill who's putting Randa's face on uh, titty mannequins and shit like that, like she was talking too much shit she, and she got and it backfired. Oh man, you know what happens <laughs> when they start talking the excessive shit, <laughs> you know, especially in this day and age. But uh, look, at the end of the day, I'm going... Claudia Gadelia split decision. As far as betting value, right now I would pass. If you got Claudia under two to one, that's that's good. If you got Randa plus two forty or better, that's good too. Current line, I'd pass. Next up in the bantamweight division, we got Marlone Chito Vera. He's fifteen and five, and Nohelin Hernandez is ten and two. Currently, they got Marlon Chito Vera minus five thirty-five. The comeback on Nolan Hernandez is plus three eighty-five. Well, Shaq, uh, Nolan was initially supposed to fight Anthony Burchak in the LFA main event in about two three weeks from now. So, man, uh, he was expecting to cut that final bit away, you know, two two weeks out from now. And now he got the call, like, hey, dude, it's actually you got to make thirty-fives by Friday. Now, not only do I have to ask you, do you think he'll make weight, but what kind of chance do you give him against the vet? The vet at this point, one of the most exciting fighters in the Bantamweight division, Marlon Chito Vera. No, Helene Hernandez is a good addition to the Bantamweight division, a very tough guy. You know, he, he's got some boxing matches on his resume. The guy comes to fight. That's 100% of, 100% of the time. This guy definitely comes to fight. He's a scrapper. And he's he's looking to engage in an Ecuadorian versus Mexican-American battle. So this fight's going to be very brutal and bloody. You get two two Spaniards in there, kind of like a uh, Ige and Aguilar. You know, you get a Hawaiian and a and a, and a Mexican American in there. Someone's gonna get hurt. So I think this fight's gonna play out very exciting. I think Nohalene Hernandez is gonna come out guns blazing, swinging, looking for the knockout. But I think that the there's the that moment he's gonna drain himself down you know look um like you go you go from fighting on the local scene to all of a sudden fighting in t-mobile arena international fight week this, this guy was about to you know anthony burchek might have been the biggest name on it on his card the other day now, now he's walking around and he's seeing john jones and holly Holm and and Mahedda santos and ben Askren and masvidal and fucking you know what i'm saying fucking and diego sanchez these motherfuckers that he's been watching on tv since he was a kid so the moment's gonna be uh a lot for him. I think I'm, I'm expecting a big adrenaline dump when he's walking out there. Like I said, the kid might come out very hard early. He is a scrapper, but I think Cheeto Vera is getting better fight to fight. You know, if this was a spot where the guy that's the big favorite, you know, is kind of showing a little, like, kind of similar, like when Hernandez stepped in on short notice against Darius, you know, Benil was kind of looking like he was on the decline those previous two fights, and Hernandez came in and souped in, or you know, a Casey Kenny coming in on short notice versus Ray Borg. You know, Ray Borg just missed weight. You know, up a weight class. Ray Borg's done completely. So, okay. um, and then you know those or Cesar Ferrer. You know, although he's very you know talented, Cesar. Although he's very talented, uh, Cesar. You know, Heinish is just a different animal. So I don't think Nolan Hernandez falls in those lines. I think Chido Vera is too experienced at his age, getting better. I mean, just look at what this guy started off with. You know, like we said in the past, the, the, the Ecuadorian, the Peruvian, the 
the, the that Latin American scene, the, the the Spain scene. I mean, look, it comes. It's very low level, and the fact that he's built himself up all the way into this position is very impressive. His skills have come a very long way. He's still developing, so I'm expecting to see even a better version of Cheeto. And let's just look at his last three fights. You know, after the the De Silva De Andrade fight, in which he you know he, he definitely let everyone down, but after that he bounced back against Luigi Baron, took care of him. I mean, put him in the ground. Guido Canetti, you know, his former tough castmate. You know, Guido told him his roommate. Guido told him he was gonna kill him, and, and he said that uh, he said that I love beating Marlon up. I used to do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, Marlon started about very low level, man. I mean, you remember the Davy Grant fights, and now he's coming out here. And then his third, uh, you know, he struggled in that first round against Guido. Guido likes to come out very hard early, and uh, he put Guido away right away in the second round man those knees were vicious the jujitsu was vicious and then his fight against uh frankie signs you know a very tough out frankie's you know beat marab divisvelli man so frankie comes to fight and i mean he put frankie in the ground quickly and the shots had some serious thing on him i'm expecting an even better version of that i think that uh, at some point he will touch no lean on the chin a guy who i've seen get dropped several times in the past very scrappy kid he'll get back up but in this particular case when he gets dropped you know just the moment will be too big marlon's probably going to get those hooks in a triangle a kimura i mean the guy marlon he, he's very vicious man when he, he comes after he comes after and he's looking a, a very cruel intentions man so i got marlon vera by stoppage victory either submission or tko you know marlon vera is someone who i like a lot man you know and back in the day when i used to tell you guys that this is a kid you need to look out for people would laugh at me because they only saw you know his fights with davy grant and marco psycho beltran they didn't really understand this guy was training in ecuador with cab drivers didn't have any pro fighters in his like, gym he's like four pro fighters in ecuador you know what i'm saying <laughs> so then when he finally moved to the states i mean look he got to the ufc training with cab drivers then he finally moves to the states has a real camp behind him and you see the improvements from a guy who lost to davy grant now he's going out there taking the third round off John Lineker and having some of the most exciting uh, finishes in the UFC that we've seen lately. I mean, when Marlon Chito Vera gets you hurt and he starts to turn up, he turns up for real and he gets you out of there and he can knock guys out. He can tap guys out. He can go the full three round distance. Marlon Chito Vera is as experienced as you can get right now for Noeline Hernandez inside the UFC's octagon. And with Noeline, look, I like the kid. He comes to fight for sure, has some pro boxing experience, but man, not only is he taking this on short notice, but some of the things I've noticed about his game, you know, obviously he loves his boxing, no doubt about it, but man, I've seen him dropped at least five times that I can count. There might be more in some of his other fights, but I've counted him dropped five times. I've also seen him get choked out before. I just think that he might have some success in the early going. He does have some sharp hands, but eventually, man, Cheeto's going to find that chin, and when he does, it's going to be over shortly after, whether it's a knockout, whether it's a submission, whether it's dropping him to choking him out, it doesn't matter. I'm going Marlon Chito Vera here to get another win, another performance bonus-worthy win, and make a statement and hopefully get a rebooking with Sean O'Malley. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Gilbert El Nino Melendez. He's 22-7, and and Arnold Almighty Allen is 14-1. and Currently, they got... Arnold Allen, minus 345. The comeback on Gilbert Melendez is plus 285. Shaq, I remember when Gilbert Melendez was the Strike Force lightweight champion, had the trilogy with Josh Thompson, made it to the UFC, got the title shot against Benson. Had, and what's he done since? Absolutely not. <laughs> had the fight of the year with Diego Sanchez, and since that point, it's all gone to shit. So my question here is, can he make a successful return at featherweight against one of the top prospects in the UFC's eyes in Arnold Allen. 
think this is, you know, pretty much a showcase fight for Almighty Allen. I mean, Almighty finally worked his way off the UK scene, and now this is his US debut. So, and and this is the, I think, the second or third time they've tried to book this fight. So it lets me know that they're really keen on on uh, Almighty embarrassing Gil, you know, on on TV. So Sean and Nick see something <laughs> in this matchup. You know what I'm saying? So you know, Gilbert Melendez. We we know he doesn't have the uh, the vitamins anymore. He's coming off the devastating leg beating against Jeremy Steam. That was two devastating leg beatings. Yeah, two devastating leg beatings against Edson Barbosa and uh, and Jeremy uh, Stevens. And uh, his last win was against Diego Sanchez. And that night, uh, I remember who fought that night. Let's put this way. Uh, Tony Ferguson <laughs> fought on the Facebook prelims. Do you understand what I'm saying? This was Tony's comeback fight after like two years off. You know what I'm saying? After he lost to MJ. So fucking, I think Gilbert Gilbert Melendez had a good run. But honestly, I think this is just for him to come in here and get his 200 grand plus his Reebok. You know, probably the last check he's gonna make for the. But you know, he'll keep his job working for ESPN and and things like that. But but if he if they're expecting him to come in here and beat Almighty, I think they got another thing coming, man. I mean, Arnold is one of the top, the top uh, uh, prospect to come out the UK in a long time, man. I think that he this kid's too focused. You know, he's not like a you know I don't want to shit on Tilly right now. He's got he's coming off two losses, but you know he's not a guy that's out here. You know, stealing taxi cabs know, in Spain. Not even that. Just you know, you don't see his coaches. Acting like they're the fucking new Kavanaugh or fucking, you know, he's Irish already twitching. <laughs> he's already twitching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I believe we will fall and, you know, all that bullshit. So Arnold's got a good team behind him at TriStar. Arnold's just very, he's just super talented, man. You know, in, in, every, in every position, you know. A lot of people in the past used to shit on his takedown defense. But at the same time, his jujitsu is so on point that he can get himself out of all those situations, man. You know, look at the fight with uh, Amir, Khani, Amir Khani down there. I mean, Amir Khani is a serious scrim. A serious world-class wrestler. I mean, just go to Wikipedia and look up uh, Maquan's wrestling credentials. And I mean, Arnold Almighty was and they were scrambling hard for three rounds straight, busted him up on the feet. I mean, Almighty. I feel like this fight's pretty much gonna come like uh, Gilbert's gonna come out here with a serious tie-up in the first round. When that doesn't work and they separate, Arnold will start to tee off with a straight left to his face, to his nose. You know, the inside low kicks. And Gilbert will just start to question everything and, and uh, either get finished or a 30-25-26. And Arnold will finally get that big name win on his resume, his U.S. debut. I feel like I respect Gilbert Melendez, a part of some of the best fights. But uh, he's past his prime. You know, like I said, I think this is just, you know, the last uh, 200K grab. And uh, I feel like Almighty's going to come out here and do his thing by devastation. So Yeah, you know what's interesting about this fight? Obviously, a lot of people are talking about how... Gilbert Melendez has a huge experience advantage, and yeah, he does have an experience advantage in terms of bigger fights. He has been in there with the more high-profile fighters throughout his career, no doubt about it, but you know what's one experience advantage that they didn't mention that actually goes in Arnold Allen's favor? How about let's talk about who's had 15-plus fights at this weight class. Uh, No one's mentioning that Gilbert Melendez has zero business at 145 pounds. And just because you were successful at 155 back in the day, you know, back when I was in high school, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Just because you were successful back then don't mean that you're about to come in here in 2019's featherweight division and start running shit and start fucking beating top prospects. It just don't work like that. I mean, look, I love Gilbert Melendez. When I was in high school, I remember the Josh Thompson trilogy. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm older than you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, look, the Strike Force days, he was the fucking man. I still remember all the time back when people were talking about how, you know, this guy's the number one lightweight, and then other people were like, no, Frankie Edgar's the number one lightweight, and this and that. And 
look, the bottom line here is that that was a long ass time ago, and I was always under the impression that because I used to watch Strike Force. That that third fight between Gilbert and Josh Thompson, I saw a decline in that fight. Even that Jorge Masvidal fight, I know someone's going to be like, oh, he beat Jorge Masvidal, he's definitely beating Arnold Allen. It's like, it's not even the same Masvidal, you guys. It's the guy that fucking lost to Toby Amada, you know what I'm saying? But bottom line here is, those days were long gone, and Gilbert hasn't evolved. It's the same thing. Stands so heavy on that lead leg, likes to throw pocket, pocket combinations. Look, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu for sure, but when's the last time he took anything down, you know what I'm saying? And... I just think this is going to be a very, very bad fight for Gil Melendez. I think Arnold Allen is a master at controlling the distance. You saw that fight with, with Rinaldi. Rinaldi was coming off the best win of his career against Jason Knight, where he 30-26 him. Very next fight, Allen embarrassed him to a point where the UFC cut Rinaldi off one loss. That's how bad Rinaldi got embarrassed. Now, yeah, Rinaldi and Gil different, you know, different this, different that. But the bottom line is, look at how he controlled that distance from a guy who was getting criticized for his takedown defense. All of a sudden. He fights a wrestler who just put on a serious show the fight prior, doesn't get taken down even once. So I just think that Arnold is operating on a different frequency. And then you talk about the striking. And yeah, we can look at fight metric and it says that Gilbert lands more strikes per minute. But, 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 but so what, man? <laughs> at this distance, the more effective shots are going to be landed by Arnold Allen. And we can also talk about how, well, Allen doesn't really throw too many kicks and the last two guys have just been kicking him. Listen to me. When Arnold Allen was on top of Jordan Rinaldi and he started kicking him, I saw some very fucking good Muay Thai technique when he was on top of Rinaldi. He just didn't have to do that uh, at any other point. But when he decided, I was like, oh, shit, this guy does have some Muay Thai in his back pocket. And when you got a coach like Faraz Hobby who's breaking down that film in detail, you know they saw that weakness. You know that they're adding more kicks to this specific game plan. And uh, I think Gilbert Melendez will be neutralized again. He's very tough. He's got that Mexican-American heart, so I don't think he'll get finished necessarily. But Arnold Allen's about to put on a show here. So I'm going Arnold Allen via lopsided unanimous decision win. Main card time. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Michael Maverick Chiesa. He's 14-4. And, and Diego Nightmare Sanchez is 29-11. and 11. Currently, they got Michael Maverick Chiesa minus 355. The comeback on Diego Nightmare Sanchez is plus 295. Well, my question here is, obviously, Michael Chiesa, you just dominated Carlos Condit. Condit, uh... Pretty, pretty, pretty done, it turns out, man. So the question here is, is Michael going to come out here and do that to Diego Sanchez as well? Yeah, I had a misconception of that fight. You know, I was under the impression that Carlos just came out and pretty much gave it to him. That really wasn't the case. It wasn't like he didn't smack Kiesa a couple of times. I mean, he definitely cracked him a couple of times. It's just that... Uh, Kiesa's, you know, new skills are a little bit more activated at 170 pounds. Look, he got completely washed out at 155. He moved up at the right time. That was a good move for Kiesa. You know, he was the former Ultimate Fighter winner. You know, he had the uh, the loss to Kevin Lee, which was off a very big layoff after a back surgery. Then he comes back... Uh, after Kevin Lee, he gets into the bus accident with Conor McGregor. You know, that fight gets postponed. Then he comes back, looks like death on the scales. And uh, he moved up to 170, and that possibly could be the best move. Because if he would have stayed at 155, those guys, you know, his style probably wouldn't have uh, meshed well with the current 155ers now. These 155ers coming up now are just... Uh, you know, different breeds of animals, man. So Kiesa made the right move going up to 170. I feel like Kiesa at 155 was kind of a guy that kind of had to manipulate guys into using 
a little more energy. He was kind of going to have to, not necessarily trick guys, but kind of like the Darius fight. You know, you got Darius coming out there, bombing off on him early, but he's getting tired. Eventually, Kiesa takes him down, gets his back, just makes him work. Kiesa's stand-up has always kind of been in question as well. Definitely isn't known for his punches, but I'll tell you what, it's progressively getting better. He, he's getting a two. The, two. the two's coming. You know, it's coming, man. <laughs> it's coming. That two's getting better. Kiesa, at this stage, in the, you're going to start seeing a, a lot better version of him. I feel like, you know, he's a lot. I mean, he just looked way different. I mean, I mean, you go and look at him. Again, I, I pulled him up side by side. So you go in there, you look at him against Anthony Pettis, that last fight at 155. I mean, the guy was so mentally cloudy. He was, you know, firstly, he was up in Pettis' face telling him, you're about to go to Bellator. Then he was telling him, I mean, that's what happens when you suck your body out, especially guys like him that are fucking huge. Like, you suck your body out. He's starting his cuts out from 195 and shit, too. So, you know, you suck your body out that much. And, uh, you know, he goes in there mentally cloudy. He runs himself into the ground real quick against Pettis. You know, he, he took him down like three, four times. It's just when they got back out in space, he literally had nothing to, uh, you know, nothing sustainable to, to threaten Pettis, you know. And I feel like at 170, man, that completely changed because in his previous fights on 155, you know, you get back out in space with Kiesi, you know, you might start to tee off on him a little bit until you can get another takedown. At 170, man, the guy just seemed way calm, and he just seemed like a completely different guy, man, and that's that's what you uh, start to see with some of these guys, that, especially like him, who, you know, I've always thought for a while that 155 he would end up growing out of. So, uh, you know, now he's got this fight with Diego Sanchez. People are saying Diego's live, and, you know, the, the number's very enticing, but uh, also... I feel like this is a similar situation to JDS last week with Francis. You know, he's, he's coming off a couple wins, but the guy's not back. Let's be honest here. He's a bene not a beneficiary. He was the underdog in those two fights, but he fought Craig White and fucking Mickey Gall. Two guys. One one guy, Craig White, shouldn't has no business being in the UFC. He's only in the UFC because they needed someone for Neil to beat up on short notice. So that guy, for fact facts, that guy should not be in the UFC. <laughs> and, I mean, Craig White, you go back and watch his previous fights. I mean, that guy's a fucking joke. Like I said, no business being in the UFC. And Mickey Gall, I don't know how many times I have to shit on him. I mean, I've told you guys to a year and some change ago that the guy's the biggest. Look, Shaq told you to put 10 <laughs> units on Randy Brown. I told you to put 10 units on Randy. I, I was like, man, if Randy loses to this fucking guy who has no... You got to earn your spot into the UFC, man. These guys, Craig White and these guys. So Diego Sanchez has definitely been going out here and handling them but those guys aren't real fighters those guys aren't real ufc fighters one's a mickey thinks the ufc cage is a naga match and fucking <laughs> and, and uh craig white's a fucking craig white's trying to kiss guys at weigh-ins and craig white's a an investment banker <laughs> <laughs> you know he kissed them on weigh-ins so i feel like this whole diego being back thing is a little inflated i think that honestly you know i feel like it's gonna this fight's probably going to resort back to how his previous fights were going. You know, Diego's a guy where in these last two fights, he's just been taking the guys down. You know, he weathered a little storm from Mickey, but Mickey ain't a real fighter. Mickey came out there and just fucking <laughs> thought he was going to run him over. Like, he's not a real fighter. A real fighter would have some sense of, no, like, a guy that's beating Trinado, Ayakinta, uh, Vic, uh, yeah. Benil. You know what I'm saying? A real fighter would know, hey... Look, I know the guy's a little old, but, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. You know what I'm saying? So I think Diego Sanchez, at this stage in his career, he's a punching bag. I mean, you get this guy out in space, every strike you throw is going to land. He's a very tough guy, but his, his striking is, is just not very good, man. He's got big leaping attempts 
to come in on the inside, and he's going to have to leap in a lot to get to Kiesa, a 6-1 guy, and I, like I said, I feel like Kiesa's striking is going to be, you're going to see it getting a lot better at this stage in his career, especially at 170s, when he doesn't have to suck out that extra 15 pounds. I'm happy uh, Diego left Jackson Wink, that was definitely a good move. I can't say it was definitely a good move for his long-term picture, because honestly, like I said, I feel like his career got extended just because, you know, he had the little beef with these two fucking pussies, that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, that really don't have any business being here so honestly i think yes is going to come out here you know i can't necessarily say he's going to finish diego but i think he's going to get a chance to work on all his skills here you know give him a tour of the octagon you know diego's a very tough guy to out grapple he's never been uh he's never been submitted but yeah, i don't think you know just because he's never been submitted that it can't happen i mean kiesa tapped out darius you know what i'm saying so that proves uh that proves that myth right there so i think yes is going to come out here work his hands you know his his, his long rangey kicks i feel like like i said you're going to see a better version and i think he's just gonna kind of give diego a tour you know maybe a hip toss here and there you know uh i think he will take him down too i think that he's just gonna be younger fresher respond to the damage a little bit more and you're gonna see diego waste a lot of time trying to take i mean uh, diego's kind of a, a tie-up guy you know he likes to come out here and put his head in between guys legs and you know, Askren's the guy that likes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's what he—that's what he—that's his style. He likes yeah. to to take guys down and, and get on top. But unfortunately, you know, when you're not fighting Craig White and Mickey Gall, that's probably not going to be the case here. So I got to go with Kiesa. But I'm gonna go with 30-26 victory. Yeah, look, it's interesting to me because obviously Kiesa is known for manhandling these guys on the ground, and not too many people do that to Diego Sanchez, who's also known also known for the same thing. What's interesting to me here is. From a game plan perspective, is Kiesa actually going to come out here and decide, man, maybe this is a good fight for me to come out here and test my stand-up because Diego Sanchez has historically, you know, not historically since back in the day, you know, tough one, but historically in the last couple of years, has kind of had a suspect chin. I mean, look, this guy won tough one. You know, he won the first ever Ultimate Fighter. He's had an amazing career. The fact that he's still competing at this level against a guy like Kiesa is unbelievable. A much respected Diego Sanchez. What a beast. And also, he came through for me big against Mickey Gall, but that's Mickey Gall. And prior to that was fucking Craig White. You understand what I'm saying here? Yeah, so Thanks for the plus 220, though. I appreciate, I, I, I appreciate it, Diego. You're the man. I'll have to buy you a drink for that. But as far as this one, man, I have to go Kiesa here. I just think the size is going to be too much. He absolutely is a different man at 70. That fight against Pettis was a complete joke the way he looked out there. But then the next one against Condit, completely different guy. I think he's trending in the right direction. I'm going to go Kiesa here. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Luke Rockhold. He's 16-4. And, and Jan Blachowicz, <laughs> Blachowicz is 23-8. and eight. Currently, they got Luke Rockhold minus 230. The comeback on Jan Blachowicz is plus 190. So, Shaq, we just talked about how Michael Kiesa looked like a new man with 15 extra pounds. So now my question is, is Luke Rockhold going to look like a new man with 20 extra pounds? Yeah, it's a big question, man, because, you know, we have seen guys like Mahata Santos, Anthony Smith go... I mean, those guys probably weigh the same as Luke, you know, cutting from 220, getting down to, to 185s. And, uh, I mean, you know, at times when I look at those two, I'd be like, man, how could that body ever weigh one anything? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, so it, this might be the Luke's a big guy, man. I just watched, his, I just watched all his fights recently. So um, Luke, man, I would say Luke is a guy that, very talented in terms of just his presence you know he's got a very big presence about him and at 185 he's definitely you know bigger than a lot of his opponents one thing i would say that a lot of people thought you know luke is a former he's a former ufc champion 
and he beat Chris Wyman for that belt. I actually watched that fight yesterday, and you know, uh, man, that fight was a good representation of just because you got one guy in championship trunks, you got Rockhold, that doesn't mean that those are the two best guys in the division, you know? Um, Back then they were. Well, see, when I was watching that fight, I was just saying to myself the entire time, if either two of these guys were fighting anyone better, they'd be knocked stiff. Like Yoel. And they did fight people better the next fights, and they did get knocked out stiff. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I was watching that fight, I just pretty much saw the, the start of the deterioration of Wyman. And the, the start of the deterioration of Wyman was coming from the Machida fight, where he looked like shit, and he was getting teed off on in the late rounds there. And then his next fight, you know, he fought Vitor Belfort. He looked like shit there. And then he fought Rocco, and he looked like shit. So it was kind of a progression down. And what's his record since? <laughs> exactly with five so, knockout losses and, and you know what's luke's rocko's record since one and two in the last three years so you know like i said when i was watching that fight i like i said it was i just my mindset was man if either two of these guys were fighting anyone better they would be knocked stiff so you know in that fight you know wyman came out there took him down early right away kind of not necessarily manhandled him that first round but you know he, he just took him down and you know the but after that after that initial grappling stage wyman was so tired and he's and wyman doesn't just firstly wyman tricked everyone into thinking that he could box against jacker ray for those first two rounds and they thought jacker ray was a good strike and then Jack the Joker came out there and fucking put a clinic on his ass. But those were not, in, in the real honesty of the game, at the time, those were not the two best guys in the world. You know, I just feel like, you know, Weinman was the champ and, you know, Rockhold was the pretty boy that they were going to, you know, give the, the give the title. So how does he match up with Blackovich? But yeah, I'm getting to that. So, you know, I feel like Rockhold's skills were, you know, a little bit inflated. I feel like, yeah, he's got a solid left kick at range. Definitely, uh, his boxing, I mean, we know it's a big liability, and he's one of those guys where it's always going to be a liability, because if you watch this guy's fights, this guy just, he's one of those guys that he just likes to fight with his right his, uh, left and his right hand down, I mean, that's just the facts. So, Blakovich is a guy where, you know, ideally when you want a guy to be rockled, you want someone that's going to be willing to charge in and touch that chin, but Blakovich is kind of a, a rangy striker too, man, he likes to throw his body kicks as well. You know, he likes to jab a lot. He likes to, he's a more of a Euro style. But, you know, in the last two years, Blakovich, he's 4-1. and one. He's fought more relevant guys at 205 than Luke Rockhold. You know, you know the 20, the 20 extra pounds, could it help Luke Rockhold out? Yeah, there's a chance. I mean, there's a chance. And I do think overall he's probably a, a better than Blakovich. It's just if anything does happen to Luke Rockhold in, far as, in terms of his chin, He's not the type of guy to bounce back. <laughs> That's if sure. he gets dropped, it's over. That's it. Like, he has to keep it together the entire time or take him down and finish him. Because if any type of stumble, you know... It's over. He ain't recovering back. This guy, when he gets dropped, that's it. So, you know, that's why I couldn't possibly play him at a, at a line like minus 230. Like I said, I do think he has better overall skills than Blackovich. But Blackovich is a guy where I feel like he can kind of be misconstrued because he's a guy where, you know, we know his uh, Jan 1.0 where he was losing a to struggling with Igor the Duke and, and Pat, Pat Cummins and, and putting his hands on his knees and all his fights. That's why I faded him against Devin Clark. I was like, this guy's putting his hands on his knees in the middle of fights. But in the last two years, it seems like he, you know he's figured out some of his problems. His new doctor is amazing. <laughs> yeah. He looks complete. His body looks completely different. Fucking, I mean, he's definitely got a new doctor. We told you to watch out. You know, Alan's got a new doctor, but his his uh, streak came in. But, you know, uh, his fight with Mahatma Santos, I truly believe that he just ran in the... Uh, 
a guy that's achieving new levels at, at a new weight class, kind of similar to, you know, Smith and some of these other guys. So, you know, I feel like Luke Rockhold is the better fighter, but from a betting perspective, it will 100% has to be Blackovich or pass because, like I said, if anything happens with this guy's chin in this fight, it's over. You know what I'm saying? Blakovich could be winning. I mean, uh, Luke could be winning, blasting him with the left kick. But I actually don't think he's going to get off on them left kicks like how he does in a lot of his fights. Because Blakovich is, is very knowledgeable at range, man. You know, he, nothing's very flashy. But the guy just knows his basics very well. And I and another thing is, I wouldn't be shocked if Blakovich took him down. Luke actually gets taken down in a lot of his fights. You know, but Branch took him down. But look, Luke Rockhold's stock is not going up. It's going down. Former champion. And like I said, I wasn't. It, that wasn't a title fight where I was impressed. And, uh, you know, after that, he got knocked out by Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping, you know, kind of just timed the counter, and uh, he was walking into that counter the entire He was actually touching him the entire time. And then uh, after that, you know, the fight against David Branch, you know, I'm not going to put that much emphasis on him getting wobbled because it was coming against a guy that had put too much emotion into talking shit before the fight, a guy that put too much emotion into, into all this shit, and he's never been at this stage before in his entire career, and he got welcomed to the big league so props to luke for doing that and then the yoel fight you know it was more so yoel kind of likes to sit back and not throw i mean he literally took the the first round we've seen him do that multiple times and i, I truly believe if he would have you know committed to coming forward early he probably would have knocked him out sooner so you know it's gonna be an interesting fight like i said i feel like luke's the better fighter so i'm gonna pick him but from a betting perspective it's black coverage or pass because luke has a hard time keeping it together for 15 minutes his boxing's a big liability and you know it's just something that he's never learned i think that you know he's a guy that he thinks that he, you know we've seen him on youtube boxing in mayweather's gym and you know he thinks he's a good boxer but uh, the guy just consistently drops his right hand, consistently walks into exchanges with his chin in the air. But I, I do think he's a better fighter than Blakovich, but plus 200 against a guy who's one and two in the last three years, who's on a decline. But like I said, he got the 20 pounds, so I'm going to sit back and watch, see how the 20 pounds affect him. But, you know... Him, in his particular case, I'm not sure if the 20 pounds are going to do him favor because now he's fighting big, giant motherfuckers. And one of these shots land on his chin, I'm telling you, he ain't recovering. The thing is, now he's one of these giant motherfuckers because we see these guys look better after 10 pounds. We see them look better after 15 pounds. But 20 pounds, that's that's got to be a world of difference for a guy like Luke Rockhold. I mean, he had to kill himself to make 85s. And obviously, he said he couldn't perform, man. And now at 205, you know, one thing I do like about Blakovich in this fight is that he does kind of run in and charge some guys. But, man, if you look at the stats, besides uh, the body kick KOs, which are very, very powerful, he definitely folded Latifi up in that first round with a kick. Man, he ain't really knocked anything out with his hand since 2010. So, not saying it can't happen here. Luke is extremely chinny, and I do think he'll be more durable with 20 pounds. But to sit here and act like he was only getting knocked out because because it, it was at 85s is total bullshit. I mean, the, no, it's because his hands are down. I mean, the guy was definitely eating those shots. And the thing is, yeah, maybe the Yoel one. You know, Yoel does hit like a truck. Maybe that was towards the end of you know when the weight cut was getting really rough. But what about those KOs he took early in his career back when he made the weight fine? Against Tony Ruba Rubicala. <laughs> so Luke definitely has a chin liability. There's no questions asked there, but. As far as Blachowicz, I mean, I just feel like, you know, when you're talking about the top 10 or top 15 at light heavyweight, it's uh, it's going to work out. But, you know, around the top eight, I just think that he's kind of too basic, too slow, too stiff for Luke Rockhold, man. I, I think Rockhold is going to is gonna have a good light heavyweight debut here, man. He's going to be able to take him down. We've seen Blachowicz get taken down many times, whether it's Alexander Gustafsson, whether it's Pat Cummins. 
But the thing is, when Luke Rockle gets on top of guys, historically speaking, it used to be like Rockle gets on top one time, he's going to land so much damage that by the time you get up, you're going to be like the walking mummy, Leota Machida. You're going to be throwing spinning back kicks that, you know, uncharacteristic spinning back kicks like wide men. Like, you're going to do some shit where you're so fucked up that you don't fight like yourself. So I'm very curious to see if Luke Rockle can bring that back because I remember how scary it used to be when that guy would get on top of dudes at 185. So. 20 extra pounds, let's see what you got, man. So I, I do agree at minus 230, I would pass. But for everyone that got in under minus 2 to 1, I, I think you, you're on the right side here. So I'm going uh, Rockhold here. And probably a pretty dominant win as well. We'll see. Welterweight division, the featured bout. We got Ben Askren, he's 19-0. and 0, And Jorge Gamebred Masvidal is 33-13. and 13. Currently, they got Ben Askren minus 225. The comeback on Jorge Masvidal is plus 185. Well, Jorge is one of my all-time favorite fighters. True true OG of the game. I remember the first time I ever watched him fight was against Paul Daly in shark fights. You know, I was a hardcore Paul Daly fan, especially when he got kicked out the UFC. So I was like, oh, Paul Daly's fighting again. He's fighting this dude, Jorge Masvidal. And I'll tell you what, Jorge Masvidal, he put on such a tough fight. I was like, damn, I'm a fan of this guy too. Back then... Paul Daly would touch guys one time and then go out cold. So the fact that Jorge went to decision with him, it was like, whoa, this guy is so tough. And then I watched all his fights after that, like, you know, the Gill fight and the fucking, uh, what's that guy he destroyed? KJ Nunes, Justin Wilcox, all these guys. So I've been a Jorge fan for a long time. Now my question here is, despite me being a fan of his, can a guy with 13 losses defeat Ben Askren? This is a lot of fan, A lot of fans are going to have their hearts in this one. You know, Askren, he's a guy where before his last fight against Robbie, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion that if this guy gets on top, round's over. I mean, when I seen him do Nikolai Aleksakin like that, I mean, Aleksakin looked like he fucking had never been <laughs> in a wrestling class in his life. He made Aleksakin look like a fucking newbie, and and that's straight up. Aleksakin's a top prospect. <laughs> yeah. So, fucking, uh, I mean, I remember what he did to Douglas and Koreshkov back in the day, 100%. You know, I feel like Ben had kind of retired before the Robbie fight, so he kind of, you know, looked like shit out in space. And he looks like shit out in space every fight. I mean, look at the Luis Sapo Santos fight. I mean, he gets busted up Jay out in space. Everyone busts him up in space, you know what I'm saying? But the thing is, can you stuff a single leg? And not just one single leg, a chain of single legs. A switch from single leg to double to, to you know what I'm saying? It, Askren, look, I think that the guy is super one-dimensional, but in these particular fights, up until he gets to the, the Covingtons and the Usmans and the, you know, the Ponzinibios of the world like that, you know, I feel like he, he I don't want to say smooth sailing, but he's going to be able to rely on that single. As long as he can get his hands class, he's going to take George down. We've seen George get taken down by Ben Henderson, Lorenz Larkin, Ross Pearson, Damian Maya. I mean, if you want to see him get manhandled by Covington, just type in George Kobe wrestling. I mean, Kobe takes him down whenever he wants to. So, you know, I like George. He's going to have to go to Ben's body and get him to make a mistake and actually knock him out stiff. And he, he is coming off a, a stiff KO his last fight. But, you know, Darren Till's head was not in the right spot. Darren Till's not a wrestler. <laughs> Darren Till's not a wrestler. Um yeah, I got to go with Askren here. I think the wrestling's just too dominant. I, I think that he's one of those guys where, you know, like I said, he gets on top rounds over. Um, and, I mean, I like George. I actually think that, you know, it could be lined a little wider, to be honest. You know, I feel like they could have been at minus 2.5, maybe even minus 2.75, you know. Like, when you got a single leg like that, look, I, 
I just know in my history, guys like Covington and Usman, look, what are they doing most of their fights? And it gets them pretty much out of every situation. They grab a single, you know what I'm saying? When you got those high, high-level wrestlers like that, and Ashkin's more higher level than both of them, you know, I, I think that he's going to be able to get those single legs and control them on the mat. I'm sure George will work his way, maybe work his way back up a couple times, but Ben can do that shit all day, man. So I'm going to go with Ben Ashkin by 30-27. And it's going to be a shitty fight, and he ain't going to get a title shot there. Look, man, it's one of those situations where, yeah, we can talk about first L time and it wouldn't surprise me you know at all nothing surprises me in this game but man Ben Askren is so dominant in that one skill that it's really just hard for people to deal with and Jorge Masvidal one of my all-time favorite fighters I love the guy I think on the feet at space he's definitely going to bust up Askren but tons of people bust up Askren and the thing is when Askren gets on top of you you know I was actually talking to my professor Guy Curry about this because you know he's like best friends with Douglas Lima they went to high school together and Lima told him these words about Ben Askren he basically said like Askren would tie him up against the fence and Lima would be like this guy ain't that strong at all and then uh, all of a sudden, but I can't move. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then Ashkin would get on top of him and Lima would be like, oh, all right, like, you know, we'll get my butterfly hooks in. You know, we'll start working. We know what to do here. We're a black belt, but I can't move. I, I can't do anything. So I just think Ben Ashkin, you know, this, despite the dad bod, despite, you know, the, you know, he says some shit that, you know, you might rub you a certain way, even though I kind of think he's, he's low-key funny, even though he's not the kind of guy I'd hang out with. I'd rather hang out with Masvidal. Like, Askren's pretty damn funny, but as far as the, the stylistic matchup, because that's what we got to get down to, I've just seen bigger men manhandle Jorge Masvidal before, and, you know, a lot of people were watching the Till fight to get ready for this. What the fuck's the Till fight going to tell you about this Ben Askren fight? I only watched one fight, and that's the Maya fight, because that's what happens when he fights a, you know, a one-dimensional guy who's an expert at that one dimension, and... You know, there were times when he was scrambling, able to stuff the takedowns, but eventually, man, whether it's the fact that Damon lifted that single leg up in the air and threw him against the wall, whether it was, you know, eventually got that double leg, took his back, as soon as this becomes sticky like glue and he just gets on, he just gets Whenever a hold of him. they really had to wrestle... Because because Jorge might be able to stuff the first view and it might be like, yes, Jorge, and he's busting him up with kicks. Yes, Jorge, a nice uppercut. But eventually, around that three-minute mark, what's going to happen then? Can you still fend him off, you know, with two minutes left in the round? It's just hard for me to say. So, you know, when I'm sitting, uh, you know, at my friend's uh, movie theater watching it, I'm going to be going, let's go, Jorge. Come on, George. You know, I'm going to be rooting for him the whole time. But my official pick is Ben Askren. Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division, we got the defending champion. We got the champ champ, the women's goat, Amanda Lioness Nunes. She's 17-4. and four. And Holly, the preacher's daughter, Holm, is 12-4. and four. Well, Shaq, currently they got Amanda Nunes minus 380. The comeback on Holly Holm is plus 315. Uh, is Holly just going to come out here and lose another title fight, uh, which she is known for? You know, I like Holly. She's a preacher's daughter. <laughs> yeah, she ain't so godly after all, but, <laughs> but uh, Holly's a Holly's a nice girl, man. You know, I feel like Holly is the same thing, man. She's a typical Jackson Link fighter that really hasn't evolved that much. And you know, hearing from Diego Sanchez of what he was basically saying, what was going down. I mean, that's why she does this, throws the same combos, moves the same way, and you know, that's why she has gotten the results that she's gotten. Um, you know, when you really look at Holly's wins, you want me to go ahead and reel them off? Marion Renault, she in the top ten, I'm not sure. Uh, Megan Anderson, one of the biggest frauds to hit the hit the women's divisions in years. Then we're talking uh, 
uh, Ronda Rousey, who, you know, was a complete fraud the entire time. It just had to... She's the Hoist Gracie. <laughs> She's the Hoist Gracie. The game evolved. She didn't. Um, and then, you know, you got... Uh, who else did she beat? Uh, Raquel Pennington by split decision. And there's one more. Betchiko. And Betchiko. So when we really look at those wins, and this is just a name fight. Holly's got a big name. I think Amanda's honestly going to handle her and handle her quite easily. I think they're on a two completely different calibers of fighters. I think Holly just has that name value. You know, I feel like Holly, you know... Oh, and Cyborg. Uh, sure, she lost to Cyborg. But uh, but even in that fight, you know, Cyborg w- was looking really sloppy in that fight, to be honest, you know, making a lot of mistakes. And Holly just backed up too much and wasn't able to capitalize. And, uh, you know, you go to the Jermaine Durandamy fight. Jermaine Durandamy's outboxing her, you know what I'm saying? You know, stuffing her takedowns. And, you know, Holly won the last, uh, kind of, maybe the last round, just because Jermaine had already had the fight sealed up. But, uh, you know, Holly's just, uh, what would I compare it to? You know, like a Gustafsson, uh, you know, just. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> you know? Except she touched gold. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or like, a, you know, I just think that this is more of a name fight for Amanda to Frankie finally Edgar. get the last, uh, Frankie, like a Frankie Edgar type of fight, to get that last big name on your resume. You know, she beat Misha, she beat Ronda, she beat. Jermaine. Uh, Jermaine, she beat Cyborg, Valentina. she beat Valentina. So this is the last big name to get on her resume, and I think she will. Amanda's better than her in the boxing. She's better than her in the Muay Thai, in the Jiu-Jitsu, in the wrestling. Uh, durability, you know. I feel like Amanda's come a long way from you know the Katzengano days where she was mismanaging her energy and it and it just and it shows a it's a great you know example of you know how a person with all these losses can turn into something you know special man I mean the chick was out here getting finished by Sarah Dielio and Alexis Davis and you know Kazingano. getting DDT by Katzengano you know what I'm saying and she stayed with it and I, I got a lot of respect for her she stayed with it and she's developed into a champion and not only a champion a champ champ so I think Nunes is gonna roll here I think that I wouldn't be shocked if she knocked her out you know I feel like Holly is a little chinny you know I feel like Nunes she should come out here with the game plan of managing her cardio for five rounds and I think she will but I mean I think she's a better pointer than Holly too look at her against Valentina she I thought I scored that that fight uh 49 46 the second time and i mean holly was kind of i mean not holly but uh amanda was kind of beating her at, at valentina at her own game you know she was standing right in that perfect range and valentina was trying to get her to come inside so she could hit her with that right hook and that spin and that spinning back fist but amanda was making too many good reads out there she's a different caliber fighter better everywhere better in every aspect of the game i think she comes out here and gets a, a late finish i'm gonna say nuna's you know, defense her 135 belt, and I don't think she should retire, man. I feel like there's still some good some good fights out for it. You know, if Valentina wants to catch some smoke again, she she can. I'm sure they they put that fight put that fight on again. Or you know, you got the Aspens of the world coming up. Jerm- <laughs> you know, Jerm- Jermaine wants a rematch, but I feel like she should keep fighting. I don't want to see her retire. Yeah, look, I love Amanda Nunes, and uh, Dana White does too. You know, Dana White has a picture of Amanda in his office, and I think that we'll just set up our champ with the last uh, former champion that she hasn't beat yet already beat all the other former champions now let's just continue that legacy and basically you know you saw that cyborg versus home fight and it was you know two old women having a sparring match and then the very next fight cyborg gets stopped in under a minute and i think a similar thing is going to happen here it might not be a 50 second knockout but look holly's going to try to run away and do her sidekicks you know try to make her tennis sounds <laughs> try to mix in a head kick but the thing with amanda is she don't chase she cuts off that ring and 
eventually Holly's going to have to commit and step up. And when that happens, uh, that'll be it. So I'm going Amanda Nunes via a vicious finish, whether it's a rear naked choke, whether it's a knockout, whether it's a 50-43, which is not a finish, but it's a destruction. I do think it's going to be a finish, though. I'm going Amanda Nunes because when these girls get hit by her, it's unlike anything they've ever felt in their lives. And uh, for that reason, I got Amanda Nunes to win this fight decisively. Main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we got John Bones Jones. He's 25-0, and 0, and Tiago Mejeda Santos is 21-6. and 6. Currently, they got John Jones minus 690. The comeback on Tiago Mejeda Santos is plus 495. Well, Shaq, at this point, it's not really about, you know, who's got the better skills or this or that because we kind of know John Jones is more skilled than everyone he's been fighting. At this point, it's like, can you catch the guy when he's not focused? Is Tiago Mejeda going to get this upset that we see, you know, once every few years, that, that Matt Serra GSP, that Burrell TJ, I mean, just one of those huge upsets in the sport. Is this going to be that moment? Yeah, it's going to be a good fight. You know, Tiago Santos, come a long way, man. This guy's had quite, to make it to a title fight from where I remember he was a few years ago, losing to Uriah Hall, Cesar Mutanch, Eric Spicely, Branch. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the guy's come a long way. And, you know, he was depleting himself. He moved up to 205, got on this nice little win streak. And uh, he, he earned himself a title fight, you know. Uh, I feel like Tiago and these new guys kind of represent a, the new, the newer 205 division, you know, the the, the Ratchikses, the the Walkers, the, the Lord Me Calls, you know. the uh, There's new blood at 205, you know. Oh, the same uh, Glover Teixeira and Rashad Evans and... Gustav, like matter of fact, I told you before he fought, before John fought, uh, before John fought Anthony Smith, I sat here and told you guys that fucking Gustafson was an easy opponent. <laughs> Gustafson ain't ain't in it anymore. That Anthony would make it five rounds, and Anthony respected John too much. He kept calling him. Anthony was trying to be his friend. I don't know what Anthony still was, but Anthony doesn't really possess that one punch KO. You know, he's a he's a slow cut guy. You know, he, he stood back and he and he let John do his thing. You know, John's last two fights, I mean, he's just coming out here and he's he's pointing these guys up, man. He's, you know, Gustafson. He did finish. He took him down. But like I said, Gustafson. I mean, I picked Anthony Smith to go out there and 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 break him in his hometown, and that's exactly what happened. So you know. Uh, feel like I had a good read on Gustafsson. I feel like that was a tune-up fight for John. You know, the Anthony Smith fight, uh, kind of a little of the same thing. Anthony went in there with a bad mindset. But, you know, this Mahetta fight, you know, it's just more danger in terms of getting knocked out stiff. I mean, Mahetta's got the tied for the second most knockouts in the, in the in the history of the company. Mahetta's been looking good at 205, man. The Eric fight, you know, it was kind of sloppy. The Manoa fight as well. But the Blackovich fight, it seems like progressively, progressively he's getting better. Seems like uh, he's getting more confidence. He's achieving new levels at 205, so I definitely think this is the weight class for him. I mean, we know John's the better fighter, but I look at things from a from a betting perspective, and, you know, I would never fade Tiago Santos at minus 700 or <laughs> anything like that. I'd be fucking having a panic attack. You know what I'm saying? That more? I'd be fucking sweating my ass off, especially with against a motherfucker that hits like that. And with the second most knockouts in the... It was gonna end up with the most knockouts in the history of the company when it's all said and done. John, you know, from what I'm hearing is, you know, he, he's saying Mahada's muscles are, are gonna uh, play against him and, you know, he's bank he's pretty much banking on that Mahada's gonna gas out and then he's gonna take over in the late rounds and that's probably it's probably gonna happen but uh you know if you bank if you bank on something like that next thing you know you're knocked stiff and uh Mahetta only needs one so from a betting perspective it's definitely for me it's definitely Mahetta or a pass I would never like I said never play uh I, I would never go against Mahetta at that type of line I mean Mahetta's got no pressure I mean plus 500 for a guy that you know if he can clip behind 
behind, I don't give a fuck who it is. If you can clip behind their ears on, on anyone, <laughs> you know, they could be knocked out stiff. And I'm not saying that John's getting kind of complacent, but I, I do think he's getting really comfortable, man. I think that, you know, like I said, I think his loss will be coming shortly. You know, if it's not on Saturday, it's coming to Walker or Ratchik or one of these guys, or if he goes up to heavyweight and fights my boy Francis. But, you know, that doesn't really seem like something he wants to do. It seems like he wants to stay at 205. But John's, he's the best, man. He's great everywhere. I mean, there's not too many holes in his. The only hole I would say that, that he kind of has is, is boxing. But, you know, he, he breaks guys before the fight. You know, the Cormier fight, I think Cormier's a great fighter. But I'll tell you why I think Mahetta might be a little bit more of a threat. Because I feel like Cormier... <laughs> You know, like I put emphasis on it all the time. Anytime you see these guys putting these big emotions into the fight where they're talking all this shit and, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> you know, Cormier, you think I'm just going to let you kill me, John? <laughs> you think I'm just going to let that? I mean, they've already fought at a face-off before. Fucking, and, you know, you know, I just think Cormier, firstly, um, Cormier makes a lot of mistakes in his striking. He's a great fighter, but Cormier's chin is wide open. I mean, the guy... Tiago, I got knocked out by Branch. Yeah, um, man, well, he fought with his hands down. But uh, but I'm just saying, on the given day, you know, if you're fighting with added emotions, if you're fighting yeah. with, you know, all these extra things that you don't need, you know, you tend to go out there and make mistakes, and that's exactly what Cormier did. I feel like Maeda's got the calf kicks to possibly threaten John, the feints and the feints, and he can possibly land something upstairs. But, of course, I'm going to go with the GOAT, John Jones, just because he is the best fighter he's never lost. But betting perspective, Tiago or pass. Yeah, what's interesting to me about this fight I know a lot of people think that Tiago's best chance is to land that one big punch. For me, actually, his best chance is not to bum rush a guy like Jones. His best chance for me is to go out there and systematically try to use a leg-kicking game because one thing about Jones, in terms of his physique, very skinny legs, and after every single fight he's in, even when he dominates these guys, he's always in a wheelchair, he's always on crutches because, I mean, I'm not calling a athletic freak brittle because that's not the case at all but he definitely wears his damage after his fights and with Tiago Mahedo Santos look if I think I think if he goes in there and bum rushes a guy like John Jones he's going to get double legged and put on his back and the fight will be over shortly after that's the case but what I think he's got to do here is I think he's got to be patient start to chop down that tree that's what you got to do here Mahedo and I'm not saying it's going to happen because John Jones his fight IQ is through the roof he might know how to check kicks but man if Mahedo can get off on four five very hard calf kicks all of a sudden it doesn't matter how smart you are it doesn't matter how tough you are you, you start walking you're a little bit like you can't move anymore and then you start to lose confidence in your own weapons so that's how i think my head has got to get it done and if he can do that then holy shit like if he starts getting off on you know six to ten calf kicks i might look at Shaq and be like dude like it might happen but the thing is john jones has to be addressing that you know we can talk about his physical attributes you know, his skill set because he's well-rounded as fuck. He's good everywhere. But, man, what about the mentality? Just his confidence is A1, and his fight IQ is unlike anything I've ever seen. John Jones can make the adjustments on the fly in a fight, and that's what separates him from everyone else in addition to having the, the longest reach in the history of the sport, in addition to, you know, being just the biggest light heavyweight ever and all those things. Dude, his skill set, his mindset is A1. So... Don't get chopped down with calf kicks, and you win this fight. I'm going with John Jones. I think he takes down my head of Santos and either ground and pound TKOs or finds his back and submits him. So I do think that Tiago's looked the best he's ever looked at 205. The 20 pounds made a huge difference. That performance against Blachowicz was amazing. And even his highlights 
uh, throughout the way. Even at 85s against Jack Hermanson, all the things he's done. The guy's Anthony. amazing. You beat Anthony Smith, or as Tiago likes to say, or as my Brazilian brothers like to say, Anthony Smitch. You know what I'm saying? He beat him. So he beat a lot of guys. He's awesome. And now it's time to fight the GOAT, the best of all time. And I don't think he's the guy. I think the guy is Johnny Walker. I think you have to be as big as John Jones physically, and if not bigger, John Jones. Uh, Johnny Walker, six foot seven. I think he's the guy. But much respect to Tiago Maheda. It's going to be awesome. What's that? Johnny, six, he's, seven. he's six seven. <laughs> Type it in right now. Johnny is six seven. By the way, it says six five on tap. Maurice Green's six seven. Maurice Green would get knocked the fuck out by Johnny Walker. <laughs> but uh, look, you need a guy like Johnny Walker who's taller than John Jones and more physical than him. Maybe even this kid Rocket. He's really good too. I do not think it's going to be Tiago Maheda Santos. But I wish him all the luck in the world because I'd love to see a big upset. John Jones is going to win this fight, in my opinion. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. It's International Fight Week this Saturday night. How's it going, my man? Good, man. I'm headed out to Vegas tomorrow, uh, so I'm looking forward to make some money out there. Hopefully uh, party with the fighters afterwards since I'll have a lot of money to blow. Thanks to them. Um, and there's $100,000 up top on DraftKings, so you better believe I will be chasing that. Man, the entire card is stacked, and uh, let's get right down to business, man, because main event of the evening, you got the GOAT, John Jones. He's taking on Tiago Santos, and man, I'll tell you what, Tiago's always been a killer, but ever since he moved up, he's been looking, uh, I'd say he's been looking the best he's ever looked. Does he have what it takes to dethrone the pound-for-pound -pound king, John Jones? Uh, I mean, I think he has what it takes, which is going to be a haymaker. I think the only way John Jones is going to lose to anybody um, that's around right now is going to be by a knockout. I just don't see how somebody beats them, um, over the course of 25 minutes. So Santos has as good a shot as anybody, I guess at 205, but I don't think it's much of a shot. John Jones is the greatest we've ever seen. Um, I think he's going to bully him on the feet. And as long as he can avoid that big, uh, head kick or haymaker counter punch, then I think he's going to dominate this fight and he should look to take it to the ground where it's not going to be any danger. Uh, and I think he'll be able to finish eventually with ground and pound. So I like him a lot. He's my favorite play on the slate, but he is the most expensive. Um, so affording him is going to be the real issue. He's going to have to outscore everybody if it's going to win me 100K. Um, so I think we can get away from this fight. If you think John Jones is going to win and, and not finish, score you know 90 points or so, then you can fade him because that's not going to win you 100,000. There are people that are priced below him that will score more than 90. So um, – this, he's going to be the most popular guy on the whole slate. So it kind of makes sense to get away from him a little bit if you're making just a few lineups chasing that 100K because you want to make yourself different from the field. But I am picking Jones. I am picking him to finish, and I think he will score highly. So I'll have a good bit of him. Uh, but if Santos wins, he is going to for sure be on the nuts because it's going to be a knockout. So I won't fully fade him. I'll have a couple hedge lineups with Santos, but I'll have uh, – I'll have 150 lineups in there, so that's the only reason I'll be using them. If I was making like 20 or less, I'd probably just fade um, the fight or go Jones. From a DraftKings perspective, are you at all stacking this fight or using Santos just for the sole fact that this card does have a lot of big favorites, Kyle? I know you know that. I know we've talked about that. And you got a guy like Tiago Santos at 6,600. If he pulls off the massive upset or even goes out there and lands a couple leg kicks, do you think he could be a good uh, piece in uh, the in your lineup to afford some of those big favorites? Yeah, I'm, I'm not against the stack in cash because he is so cheap and he helps you get up to the other favorites that you're trying to get to. 
Um, so I'm totally okay with the stack this week. And I also like it kind of as a hedge in case Santos does win. It gives me a little bit extra because I have a lot of money in cash games as well. So um, I, I feel like I would lock up cash games if Santos did win. So it's a nice little hedge there. And I do think this fight's going to get a minimum of 100 total points. So I'm fine with stacking it in cash, and I might actually do that myself. So co-main event of the evening, you got the women's GOAT, Amanda Nunes. I mean, we're talking wins over Cyborg, Valentina, Jermaine Durandamy, Misha, Ronda, and now uh, potentially Holly Holm on Saturday night. So the question here is, do you think Holly's going to be able to run away enough for Amanda not to score high enough to co- uh, to cover that uh, that ninety one hundred, or do you think Amanda's going to be able to cut off that cage, and, uh, get Holly Holm out of there, and cover that cover that salary? That's the worry. I mean, Holly Holm does not have the greatest style for DraftKings, um, and that's for most of her opponents as well. But I think the aggressiveness of Nunez can definitely counteract that style and i think again i think nunez's best path to victory would be to go to the floor as well she should dominate on the ground so um if she could do that she could definitely score highly but if this is going to be a five-round striking match there's a good chance um she doesn't end up on that lineup because holly home will be running around like you said so again we can fade this these two champions are going to gain a ton of of field exposure so if you want to fade both championship fights, you're going to be making yourself contrarian in just doing that, no matter what your other six fighters are. Um, that'll make you different. So I'm not against fading it, but I do like Nunez here again. Um, and I think she's going to finish. I, I think both champs should finish on the ground. I got John Jones with ground a pound and Nunez with a submission. Um, and I really, this is not a fight I would stack, even though it's five rounds, just Holly home style. You can't stack her fights. Um, and if I have any lineups with her at all for GPPs, it'll be purely hedge purposes. So, man, in the welterweight division, Askren's taking on Masvidal. Unbelievable fight. I mean, it's pretty simple here, man. Is uh, Ben Askren going to grind him out or not? <laughs> yeah, it is simple, but I don't know. It's the most intriguing fight on the card, I feel like. Uh, I can't wait for it. I think Ben Askren is probably going to grind him out because he's not going to want to stand at all. Like He's not going to spend any amount of time striking with Masvidal. He's going to be tra- chain wrestling until he gets the fight to the ground. And if Masvidal gets back up, he's going to be trying to get it back down to the ground again. So I think it's knockout or bust for Masvidal. Uh, and we saw in his last fight that he could definitely do that. Uh, so, I mean, I do like Masvidal because there's not a lot of dogs to like on this card and if he gets the knockout he's got a good shot of winning that hundred thousand dollars so i won't be fading him at all but i am picking Askren here and i think he's going to win a wrestling based decision um with probably you know five or six more or more takedowns so he's predicting a uh, hundred plus points i don't know about that i mean six takedowns at five apiece that's 30 you get the win bonus at 30 uh he would have to do a lot of ground strikes which I don't know how many of his ground strikes will be significant. So I don't know if he's getting over 100, but I do think he's going to be around, you know, 10, 11x. So Rockhold is making his light heavyweight debut against Jan Blakovich. And we've seen a lot of these guys, they go up in weight, they look a lot better. But this isn't just 10 or 15 pounds, Kyle. This is 20 pounds. So are you expecting a a brand new man here in uh, Luke Rockhold? I don't know, man. I think... It kind of depends on how much damage Joel really did to him, but I do think that 20 extra pounds should help his chin out just in general. 
and I think he's just a much better fighter in this matchup as well. So it's going to come down to if Blackwood can test that chin or if he can get takedowns and stay out of uh, out of trouble on the ground. I just think Rockhold's better everywhere here. Um, and he was my free bet of the week. I took him for one unit at minus 175. And now it's moved up a little bit. I think the line's right now. And he said at minus 235. So that's where I think it should have been um, earlier in the week. And I like him a good bit to get the win here. And he hasn't scored less than 90 points in any of his wins so far. So I definitely like him at 8,400 here. But the thing I like most about this fight in general is it is the mid-range fight. We have no 8,000 uh, or 82 hundred dollar fighters this week it's eighty four hundred dollar rock gold or seventy eight hundred dollar blackwoods so i'll probably be targeting this fight pretty heavily since it's right there in the middle and it kind of almost forces this fight into a lot of my lineup so i'll definitely be heavier on rock gold but you got to have some blackwoods in case you know rock gold's chin is completely toast would you say blackovich is a ko or bust in this spot and the reason why that's kind of a funny question is because Blackovich hasn't exactly been known for knocking people out, but I just have a really hard time seeing him out-hustle Luke to a decision here. Yeah, I, I would say it is KO or bust, and he isn't a knockout type of guy. So, yeah, I, just, I think he has a, a tough night ahead of him. So he's, re- I think he's really got to rely on Rockhold's chin just not being strong enough to take any 205ers punches. So, man, last but not least... Kicking off the main card, Michael Chiesa versus Diego Sanchez. And what's interesting about this fight to me, Kyle, is that obviously no one's ever submitted Diego Sanchez before. He doesn't often get dominated on the mat. But the area that many have criticized him in is his chin. And on the flip side, Michael Chiesa isn't known for his striking. But when he moved up to 170 pounds, he fought Condit. His striking looked a lot better than it did in that Pettis fight. So the question here is, do you think Chiesa... Plays it like normal Chiesa and tries to get Diego down to the mat? Or do you think he actually uh, you know, turns the tables and tries to keep the standing and potentially goes out there and knocks out the legend Diego Sanchez? I think he probably tries to get it to the mat. He's the first to um, submit Diego. I think that would be a nice accomplishment for him. Uh, and I think he can maybe pull it off. But like you said, man, Maybe he can go out there and get a knockout, too. He's not a knockout type of fighter at all, but maybe Sanchez is the guy to get it against. He looks great against Condit, so maybe this uh, new weight class is his home. I think he is going to be the more dominant fighter. Um, but of, of all the people we've talked about, I'd say Sanchez is my favorite of these underdogs because, uh, I mean, Chess at 9200 I, I would much rather pay $100 less and get Nunez. So at 7000 Diego, he can definitely make this fight close. Um, I mean, like I said, he's never been submitted. So if Chessa can't submit him, can't knock him out, then Diego could make this a brawl and judges like him sometimes. So if, if he stole a split decision here, it wouldn't completely shock me. And on a card, we're really hurting to find underdogs. Uh, I'm not against going with some Sanchez. So he's my preferred play of the two, even though I am picking him to lose the fight. Uh, I think Chess is going to be too much for him and probably get a 30-27 decision. Well, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Kyle Marley is going down this Saturday in Vegas. You will be there. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3, and they can buy your bets and your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, bro. We got a max bet this week. Going hard, um, and I feel real good about profiting. So hit those bets up, and then use that money to keep buying them. I think I'll pay off yearlies this week. So if you guys want to get on that deal, let's profit together.
Kyle Marley has a max bet at bestfightpicks.com. Like you just heard, Kyle Marley, let's get it, my man, and we'll speak soon. All right, man. Good luck. Take care. Thank you very much, Kyle Marley. Hope you enjoy Vegas. Now, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. What is the fight to watch for UFC 239? My fight to watch is going to be the main event, John Jones versus Thiago Mejeda Santos. Look, John Jones, if he keeps on this streak, you know, uh, I want to see him get challenged. I want to see him, you know, these Ratchets and these Johnny Walkers, they're still, a, they're still a bit of ways away from getting that title shot. They're still a couple wins away. So, you know, I want to see how he performs in this fight, the third one of this uh, active streak that he's on right now. I feel like it's the most dangerous guy he's fought in a while. That's my fight to watch. I want to see, uh, I want to see how he performs. Look, my fight to watch is going to be Ben Askren versus Jorge Masvidal. There's a chance it's a boring fight, but the reason it's my fight to watch is because you got a very well-rounded guy in Jorge Masvidal who's a vet, who's very exciting, taking on a one-dimensional guy who's so amazing at that one dimension and Ben Askren that I just really am so intrigued by this fight. If somehow Ben can't get those takedowns, he's about to get busted up. But if Jorge's on his back... I'm curious if he can get back up. You know, all that training he's been doing with Colby, uh, I'm so intrigued. Plus all the talk, uh, Jorge saying he wants to end his bloodline, Ben Askren being like, well, that's kind of funny because I already have three kids. <laughs> you know, like, they've been talking a lot of shit to each other. I really enjoy back it. Back when you were fighting in Kimbo's backyard for 20 bucks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, Ben Askren versus Jorge Masvidal is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 239? Uh, my fighter to watch is going to be Michael Chiesa. I mean, at one point in time, this guy was supposed to be the one of the futures of the lightweight division. I like the move that he made in going to 170. Some guys got to know when it's time to go up. He made the right move. I think it's going to pay off. I think he's going to see uh, a longer extended career at 170. Uh, and I'm expecting a good performance here against Diego Sanchez. Yeah, look, my fighter to watch is Arnold Allen. This is the biggest opportunity of his career. He's only been fighting up-and-comers in the featherweight division. Now he gets to fight a legend of the sport, a former champion in strike force, a guy in Gilbert Melendez who many years ago people were saying might have been the number one lightweight. Turned out not to be the case, but he's still a legend of the sport. For Arnold Allen to come out here and get this win, it would only elevate his career to that next level, get him that signature win. So for that reason, Arnold Allen is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday. UFC 239 International Fight Week. The GOAT Jones, the GOAT Nunes, both defending their belts. I cannot wait. They can follow our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Been killing it all year. Shaq, uh, make sure you guys... I'm on a serious run right now. Meatball Molly a couple weeks ago. Henry Cejudo, Triple C. Francis last week. I mean, I'm looking to continue with this for UFC 239. So, I mean, use code Shaq for 10% off my personal picks. And, and I'm looking to have a few plays for, for UFC 239. And, and I'm looking to get the win as well. Yes, sir. Those plays you just heard, Molly McCann plus 245, Henry Cejudo plus 140, plus 145. Those are the kind of bets you can expect with Shaq's individual package. And for myself, obviously, you know, 34% ROI on the year. Aside from Shaq, I think I got the best ROI out of anyone in 2019. So all I got to say is bestfightpicks.com. Let's get it. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure you hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. Also, inner tops have highly competitive MMA lines and a $200 or Euro sign-up bonus. Click the link in the description right now. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. And once again, make sure you tail our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Hope you guys enjoy the fights. Happy 4th of July. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.